everyone. Really quick note before we get started. You might remember that we changed up our format earlier this year. We've gotten really great feedback from you on the new direction of the podcast, and so the next step we felt was to change our name so that it makes sense with what we hope to accomplish in each show. So today, we start with our new name, Heritage Explains. Heritage Foundation. I'm Michelle Cordero, and this is Heritage Explains. On Labor Day weekend, I'm getting married at the Inn at Willow Grove. The Inn at Willow Grove. So it's in Orange, Virginia, which is middle nowhere in central Virginia. That's my colleague and friend, Kelsey Harkness. She's a news producer for The Daily Signal. Kelsey's getting married in a few months, and you're listening to her showing me the website of the venue she picked for the event. So it's in Orange, Virginia, Mm -hmm. and the night he proposed, this is kind of sad, but my grandmother passed away, and Mm -hmm. she lived in Orange Park, Florida, Mm -hmm. and I had never heard of Orange, Virginia before. I didn't know it existed when we drove here. I didn't even know the town it was in. And when I realized it was in Orange, Virginia, I thought it was a sign that my grandma will be there the day we get married. Thinking of our podcast topic today, I specifically asked Kelsey a few questions about marriage, starting with why she wanted to get married in the first place. Well, we're in love (laughs) and we're at the stage of our lives where we're starting to think about a family and you know, buying a house, and we want stability, security, and to just solidify our relationship, take that next step. How does your family feel? Are they excited? They are very excited. Um, His family's from Iowa. Mine is from Connecticut. They will both be there for the wedding. They've actually never met because Iowa and Connecticut are not close by, but we're all going to get there a night early to just have a family dinner with both of our families. Here's where I'm going with this. What if marriage didn't mean that to Kelsey? What if it meant something negative? What if on the surface, marrying meant that she would have less stability in life instead of more? What kind of effect would that have on the choices she makes in life? Or worse, what kind of effect would this have on someone who was thinking of getting married but was already struggling to make ends meet. This week, we talked with Mimi Teixeira, a graduate fellow in welfare policy at the Heritage Foundation, about marriage penalties and the unintended consequences they have on low-income communities. Hi, Mimi. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So, Mimi, what is the marriage penalty from an income tax perspective? So couples who are unmarried file differently for tax purposes than couples who are married. Couples who are unmarried file as two different single households, and couples who are married file jointly. And the way that the tax system treats their income jointly or separately is different. And so essentially you could be punished for getting married. Yes, 
Yeah, that always struck me as odd. I know that when my husband and I got married, we were affected by the marriage penalty. And I actually think that the new tax law changes that, where you have to be really at the top end of tax brackets to be affected by it. But um, the fact that we were doing something that was seen as a societal good, but our, our government was punishing us, struck us as really odd. And this is really just the tip of the iceberg. There's actually another aspect of the marriage penalty that people talk a lot less about, but is far more harmful. And that's what we're going to focus on today. And that has to do with government welfare benefits. Mimi, can you explain that a little more? Sure. So in the welfare benefits system, there are programs that treat married couples differently than they would treat two people who are single, who have children together. So the biggest programs are temporary assistance for needy families, the food stamp program, supplemental nutrition assistance, and then the earned income tax credit, which does come into that tax situation a little bit. So the way that the marriage penalty exists is that some couples will, unmarried couples, will be able to claim their children for certain benefits so that they get more benefits as a single parent with many children. And then the other parent who is working would claim those children for the earned income tax credit. So they also get a higher payout as being considered a single parent with children. Married couples can't do that. Married couples can't choose for which programs who is going to claim the kids. They exist as a whole family. So this amounts for some couples to as much as 15% of their total earnings. If they marry, they could lose $6,000 to $7,000 per year in benefits. Yeah, so I looked this up actually in a heritage report. It said that a single mother who has two children and ha- works full time for a year at minimum wage, so that's seven twenty-five per hour, that she makes almost fourteen thousand dollars a year, and that she's eligible for the earned income tax credit you mentioned, an additional child tax credit, food stamps, free lunch, and in some cases, school breakfast. And so you're saying that if she got married, and it's it, this is good. She's a working mom, and she should be able to support her family. But if she takes the next step to better her life for herself and her children and gets married, she loses these benefits. She could lose many of them. In most cases, she would be marrying someone who's also working. So that will bring her household income above the level uh, where she would be receiving some of those benefits, or it will decrease those benefits because her household income will be higher. Whereas if she chooses just to date someone, not to marry them, to cohabit, and have the man in the house, but not as part of the official household, she can keep all of those benefits at that level while still benefiting from a second hidden income. Yeah. So historically, what we've seen is welfare begin to substitute husbands and low-income marriages have disappeared. That is true. So the proportion of children in single-parent homes has tripled. The number of children born outside of marriage is much larger than it was It was in the 60s in the low 6%. Uh, Today, it's over 40%. So there are many more children born outside of marriage, and there's a huge decline in the number of couples who choose to get married as part of their steps to starting a family. It's now considered starting a family without that crucial step of marriage, which is a huge problem if we want to ensure both an exit of poverty for those families and also stability for those children. Right. And and so here we're kind of in this endless cycle where instead of helping our recipients, we're actually harming them. Um, 
Can you tell me a little bit about this harm? What are some of the proven outcomes of single-parent homes? So part of the problem with single-parent homes is the amount of instability that a child will experience. So by the time the child is three, if they're born in a single-parent or unmarried parent household, there's a 50% chance that their, their household status has already changed. So that means that there's other men coming in and out of the home. They might have switched homes and are living with different people. There's a ton of instability in their lives. And I think that's probably the main reason that we see uh, the kinds of things like children who are born outside of marriage are more likely to end up in jail, significantly more likely to drop out of high school, to abuse drugs and alcohol, to engage in other criminal behavior, Um, And they're also five times more likely to experience physical abuse and seven times more likely to experience sexual abuse. Children who are born in married families are less likely to be in poverty, not only when they're young, but also when they're adults. They're more likely to get and keep a job when they're adults, and they're more likely to wait until they're married and until they're old enough to have children. So historically, how dominant is the role of the decline of marriage in child poverty? It has to be huge because there's been, at the same time that we've seen a huge decline in marriage, there's also this decline in mobility and these growing problems of community breakdown. So the New York Times published metrics about uh, the best neighborhoods for mobility. And the neighborhoods for mobility that showed the best outcomes were the neighborhoods with the most fathers. So when you controlled for yeah, when you controlled for the socioeconomic status of those neighborhoods, it really does matter for the entire neighborhood how many fathers are in that neighborhood uh, and how many couples are in a stable situation. And so it's both that stability is important to getting children to a place where when they're adults they'll succeed, and it also is just from a numbers perspective more likely that a family will be in poverty for a short time or will never be in poverty if they have two incomes in the household consistently and steadily. And even outside of that, we're talking about children, but I mean, marriage marriage promotes happiness, right? It's proven that people who are married lead happier lives, correct? It is. So the two biggest components that people see when they're measuring happiness are work, you know, meaningful employment, And also marriage. It's a huge part of how we feel about how we relate to others, how we relate to our community, uh, and how we feel about fulfillment in our lives. So it's, it's good for everyone. Okay, so you mentioned the New York Times earlier. How does the left feel about this aspect of the marriage penalty contributing to dependency? I think the left does struggle with, frankly, the empirical facts. So the New York Times published this article saying that It's not really a problem that we have more single parents than we used to. It has nothing to do with child poverty. People quickly called them out for the statistical problems with what they were saying. But what they're really getting at, the reason that they're so upset by these statistics is they don't like the idea of marriage, a traditional institution, having as much weight as it clearly does. And so what they try to say is it doesn't matter. It's about, you know, strong-willed mothers and good grandmothers and stable households, and you don't need marriage for stability. One, we know that you really do need marriage for stability. But we also can both say that there are strong single mothers who are doing a great job and say 
that the best place for a child to be is in a married household. And the best way to combat poverty is to make sure that households are stable, good environments for children with steady incomes. So then I guess also the argument could be then, what do you guys want to do then? Okay, there has to be, you know, some change in the system. You can't just say, okay, now you've got two incomes involved and we're going to continue giving you government resources. What What's the solution? How do we fix this? One of the ways we can fix this is by changing the earned income tax credit. So the earned income tax credit is a big part of what causes the marriage penalty. We can expand it for married couples a little bit so that they're is less of a huge cutoff for married couples. When they get married, they'll lose a lot less. And also, we can make sure that for single people, the earned income tax credit is fairly low. The earned income tax credit is supposed to encourage work for people in poverty, which is great. For a single person, theoretically, that amount of money that they need to push them out of poverty should be much lower. We can focus our EITC funds on married couples with children and on all families with children and shift that away from single people a little bit. And then it will ameliorate this problem of two single people trying to get married and losing all of these benefits. What's the atmosphere in in Congress and with our president on these types of changes right now? The president is very interested in improving marriage in low-income communities and in all communities and seeing this aspect of strong families is a really big part of developing better welfare programs and strengthening our workforce. He has been a really big supporter of the value of marriage. In Congress, we are seeing a lot less weight placed on marriage, especially this past farm bill that was approved a couple of weeks ago by the Agriculture Committee. It really does harm to married families, which is a disappointment coming from the Republican Party. Uh, It significantly hurts married couples, especially married couples where maybe the father or the mother is already working full time. It would require the other parent to also work. It hurts married families with active military spouses. Uh, it's, It's pretty brutal to married families. And it what little it does to maybe close this marriage penalty gap in terms of the amount of benefits is good. But the way that I think it treats married couples with children in terms of the work requirement is is definitely going to hurt marriage and take away from some of the traditional benefits of marriage. Thank you so much, Mimi. Absolutely. And that's it for this episode of Heritage Explains. If you're interested in more about this topic, I've posted the report I mentioned earlier in the show, as well as the link to Heritage's 2008 solutions on welfare. You can find a lot of the facts and figures Mimi mentioned in the interview there. And as always, if you like today's podcast, please subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please rank us and leave a comment. It's the best way for people to find us. It really helps us out a lot. See you next week. Heritage Explains is produced by Michelle Cordero with editing by Thalia Rampersad.